It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, go to ellerslie.com. So here we are in the chapel. Uh, This is episode five in a series that I started about a month ago, and it's been sort of dripping out over the month. We did take a week off for Christmas as... Uh, you know, Daily Thunder uh, style. We did have a greeting on Christmas. I don't know if any of you heard that, but it was a very special greeting. Then we had to give away that we weren't really in the room, uh, in the studio on Christmas, which was sort of a spoiler for everyone. I'm sure that they loved the thought of Nathan and I getting up early at, what was it released at 1.30 a.m. and, you know, crawling into the studio uh, and giving a Christmas greeting. But So this is an unusual style. Daily Thunder is usually a morning thing that we would do before the students during training season. But in this season, which when we call it an off season, it's a misnomer. It's not really what it is. It's a very filled time for all of us that work here at Ellerslie, but it's different because we don't have the students here. And so it changes up Daily Thunder a little. Usually we're in the studio. We decided to try something. Nathan's been doing his series before our prayer nights as a church on Wednesdays, and that's been very powerful. I hope you guys are following Nathan's series because it is so good and so rich. And we do have one thing that we're doing in the studio, which is our life lessons. And then this one, which is in sort of a special event format where we gather once a month and I go through four episodes in one night, which means I need to keep them rather short because that would be a rather difficult night to make it through if it was normal uh, Daily Thunder length. So we're aiming for, you know, somewhere in that half hour range, but, you know, give or take. Uh, And so I don't want you guys to hold me to that. If I get to 31 minutes, you don't need to stand up and start shouting anything. But the last time we did this, I was richly edified. It was actually a lot of fun to go through and have four episodes and sort of see how they blend together and to see that the themes that were coming out. I actually think it was a more powerful way of doing it, even though, uh, you know, it's different, it's unique, but I'm, I'm sort of wanting to ride that wave into this one. I'm very excited for parts five through eight. So here we are with episode five in the series. Part five is called Craving the Crowded Hour. Teddy Roosevelt, who is a very imperfect character in history. In other words, if I were to say, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not typically going to say, I want you to grow up to be Teddy Roosevelt. And because first of all, he's unique, but he has some qualities and he's probably, I mean, I have one book that I've been uh, sort of poking at called The Most Interesting American. And that he is possibly one of the most intriguing characters in all of American history. Not just the most intriguing president, but possibly the most intriguing man. He is one of the most skilled, talented, brilliant man. He had a photographic memory and identic memory, which means he could see things like he could read a book and remember everything in it, but he could also just look at a page and remember the page. And so one story is some guy comes into the Oval Office with some kind of big, thick document. And as he's talking uh, with Teddy, Teddy's just sort of paging through it. And the guy uh, says, when do you want to set up a time to sort of review all of this? He goes, we could do it now. He goes, well, I'd prefer that you read through it first. And he says, I just did. And he says, well, what? And so he didn't believe Teddy Roosevelt. So he, he starts asking Teddy Roosevelt things about it. And the guy, he starts quoting paragraphs back like identical word for word. 
Who is this guy? So you could study him from any angle, even natural history. He was like an expert. He could have gone down in history as one of the great natural scientists of his age. No one thinks about that because he's the president, right? And some people have said it's one of the rare people in history who, when he is remembered after he dies, is remembered for things other than just being the president of the United States. In fact, that's not even first in the list. It might be second or third. He's a remarkable man. And he was a believer. And I, you know, to, I don't want to try and tap into that at the level I wish I could. If I was you know, doing Hudson Taylor, it's a little easier to make that the focal point. What I'm wanting to drive to the surface are qualities of his life. Some of them are unique because of their old-fashioned nature. In other words, they're coming out in early uh, 20th century, and we've lost something in our culture. And so by studying this man, it's like it brings up certain behaviors and qualities that I'm not saying they weren't exceptional back then, but they were almost more normal back then than they are now, to the point where the way he is behaving, thinking, and living is outrageous to the way we would think and live and behave today. So I wanna draw some of that out, which I did in the first four episodes. Highly encourage you to go through those. Just deeply inspiring to me. One of the things he was after in his life is something called the crowded hour. He was always looking for his crowded hour. It was part of his life philosophy. Now, I don't use that terminology, but as I begin to study him, I recognize something that I would say the spirit of God has worked deeply in me as well. So this is a very personal message for me as well. His phrase, the crowded hour, comes from a poem, and it's by a guy named Thomas Osbert Mordaunt, and so it's called The Call. So this is one stanza. It says, sound, sound the clarion, fill the fife. To all the sensual world proclaim, one crowded hour of glorious life is worth an age without a name. Now, like a lot of poetry, you can read it and just stare at it and feel good because you're reading poetry and feel sort of smart, but not have a clue what it's talking about. So I will give you a little unpacking of how Theodore Roosevelt understood this. These words are often attributed to Sir Walter Scott, but it was actually Mordaunt that wrote it as a stanza in his poem entitled The Call. The famous stanza suggests that it is preferable to live a short but meaningful and impactful life than to live a long but unremarkable one. It exhorts one to live zestfully in the present moment and to make the most of one's time rather than being anxious about one's legacy and fretting over one's reputation. Now, we could just stop right there and you've received enough tonight just to chew on because that is an incredible statement that it is preferable to live a short but meaningful and impactful life than to live a long but unremarkable one. I don't know how many of you have agonized over the fact that Jesus was only here 33 years. It's like, oh, what he could have done. If what he did was so amazing and there was so much of it that it can't even be written down lest you know, the world be filled with books. I mean, what could have happened if he just stayed another 33 years? And yet it is preferable that, that one lives a short but meaningful and impactful life than a long, unremarkable one. Our desire typically is to live a rather long life, okay? Let's just be honest. I don't know why. If you think about it, why do I want to live a long life? And it's because we want to milk this life for all the pleasures that it has. There are things that we desire to see. You know, for instance, I'm at that stage where I want to see my kids grow up. 
and I want to see them strong. I want to see them influence the world around them. It's just a desire. I want to see my grandkids, right? I want to hold them on my lap and bounce them on my knee. And so to follow Jesus Christ radically means I need to hold certain things loosely. And I need to recognize that to live life as God would intend it does not necessitate that I live a long one. To live life as God defined it in its highest state of excellence does not mean I live into my 80s or into my 90s as we would prefer. I mean, most of us are going to think about our diets and how we're going to live and exercise so that we can live a long life. And I don't think that's wrong. I just think it needs to be counterbalanced with an understanding of where a remarkable life comes from and what it stems from. It stems from being ready to step into your crowded hour when it shows up. But in your crowded hour, which is like a cross hour, I, I don't use the term crowded hour. That isn't how I've grown up. This wasn't a poem that I knew. My term has always been the time of the man. So some of you may have heard messages, and I, I've, I've given a message many times. Oftentimes I'd weave you know, the ancient war cry into it. But it was the time of the man. There's a time and it shows up where a man is uniquely set and built to step into that moment even though he may die. But it's a man moment. Jesus on the cross is a man moment. He was built for it. And the father says now. He knew the time. And he steps into that man moment and lives a remarkable life. You can't argue that one, right? But his life is seemingly snuffed out early because of it. Oh, a tragedy? Not quite. You see, when a man lives for his crowded hour and lays down his life in his crowded hour, it's actually the ultimate picture of living. He is going to live well and die well. And technically throughout history, that is a very common sentiment, which is why soldiers were willing to die because they looked at that time of battle as their crowded hour. This concept throughout history has been very replete. It's that in our day, we don't think that way. We think the long life is preferable, even if it is unremarkable, than to live just a short life because it sounds like a tragedy to snuff out a life when it's younger. But what if that life was actually lived as it ought to be lived? What if it truly was remarkable and that it laid down its life so that others could live? So here's our poem again, just so you can try and feel a little smarter than the first time around, you know, where you're like, oh yeah, yeah that sounds good. Sound, sound, the clarion, fill the fife to all the central world proclaim one crowded hour of glorious life is worth an age without a name. This was Teddy's life goal, to pursue his crowded hour. So I, I've tried to figure out different ways that I could describe this, but you know, in studying a lot of ancient warfare and soldier mentalities as they would prepare for war, and I've read a lot of books on this weird topic, but it's odd to me, and it's always stood out to me how many soldiers were excited to enter into battle. And I'm thinking, boy, uh, do they not understand? Do they not understand that they could die? And yeah, they did understand that, but they had always lived for what Teddy is going to call their crowded hour. And so a well-built soldier understands the value of this. Of course, songs were written, poems were written, stories were written, 
of these men that would lay down their lives. And so the oral histories at the time, the bards that would sing the songs of the men who took their crowded hour and stepped into it nobly, it turned into the highest virtue. And so if you were going to live even a short life, you would want it to be remarkable. And back then, you didn't live very long. I mean, to be honest, when I did my series on Alfred the Great, and you know, the average lifespan, I don't remember what it was, like 35, you could sort of understand that if you don't have a long lifespan, it's like, we all, we think 80's short, right? But 35, I mean, I, 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 Albert, Albert, where'd I get the name Albert now? Alfred lived to, I think it was 50. Old man, I just turned 53. <laughs> so I'm gonna call it the expendable mindset where you are ready, and I don't know how many of you have thought these things through. This is the type of thing that Eric thinks about a lot. You see, it was easier to expend myself when I didn't have a wife. It was easier to expend myself when I didn't have kids. But when you have a wife and you have kids, it's actually harder to cultivate the, Lord, I'm ready to lay down my life. And so your crowded hour can sort of get crowded out. I'm not looking for that anymore. God, I'm looking to just live well and peaceful and stable. And yet that is a loss of what God intends us to have, which is why this is important to rehearse in us, not just for young men and women, but for those of us that are in the aging category, for those of us that are you know, eclipsing 50, it is very easy to look for a way to retire, to, a way to make life a little easier, a way to simplify the challenges and get rid of all of those because I, I don't have time for that anymore. That's for young men. The expendable mindset, I'm gonna say this, it needs to constantly be cultivated and tended like a fire in a hearth. It's a mindset. God has purchased my life with his blood. That is what Jesus did on the cross. I am no longer my own, I am bought. Therefore, what he needs, what he desires in this world, he gets, expendable. And so, do I have an expendable mindset? I have had it, and yet, just because I have had an expendable mindset doesn't mean I have it today. Now, you have to realize I'm giving a message on this, so believe me, it's been very front and center in my thought life as I've been going through this. It's like, Lord, I feel like I'm getting a little soft. I feel like some of that expendability has some justifications around it. Like, well, you know, I, you know, that's for younger men. Oh no, I'm not thinking that, am I? Am I actually going there? Am I thinking like one of those old stodgy characters that, you know, got all barnacled up with his self-justifications of why he can't live radical for Jesus anymore? No, I don't wanna be that guy. So if any of you have ever read Randy Alcorn's book, Safely Home, there's a character, Lee Kwan, who wakes up every morning and asks himself the question, is this the day I die? Now he's in China and he's living boldly and radically as a Christian. And so he recognizes that living boldly and radically as a Christian in China, this is a novel by the way, really good one, uh, and that it literally could lead to his death. And so he lives with the expendable mindset, is this the final day? And if this is your final day, how does it change how you live it? You see, this is a crowded hour mentality. Kakopatheo, 
So it's a Greek word if you don't recognize it. And it means to endure hardness, to walk through challenge, to face crisis, and to carry difficulty. So Paul is going to say to Timothy, kakopatheo, or endure hardness is a translation that many of us are familiar with, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness? What? Why, why would I want that? See, this is not a bad thing. To us, it translates as a negative. But I want you to embrace that difficulty. Take on that challenge with a smile, as a good soldier would. Now, most of us, since we're not good soldiers, that isn't necessarily how we were trained. Remember, I'm talking about historic soldiering, where it literally is their crowded hour, where they're excited to be the good soldier. I want to be a good soldier. I want my crowded hour. Is this it, God? Is this the day I die? If it is, I want to live remarkably today. And so, Cacopatheo, endure and embrace this challenge that you are facing as a good soldier would. So how does a good soldier function? Now, when you think of a good soldier, you just think of discipline. But I want you to think a little broader, historically. He smiles at difficulty. Have you ever been around one of those characters? They're really frustrating when you're not smiling at the difficulty and they sort of get excited about it. You know, like Bear Grylls, sort of. It's some really challenging situation and he's like sort of laughing or mocking it. Like, what's wrong with this guy? Actually, what is right with this guy? He's enduring hardness as a good soldier. That is precisely the way Teddy Roosevelt is built, which is why it is very stirring. He embraces challenge, laughs at impossibilities. If something can't be done, Teddy wants to do it then. Well, you're saying I'm not supposed to do that. I can't do that. Now I want to do it. You shouldn't have told me that. Sings amidst the falling artillery shells and sleeps in the mud hole like a prince in his royal bed. Every situation becomes his royal bed. If it's difficult, this is where I sleep tonight. This is fun, as, as Teddy would say, bully. How does a good soldier function? So scripturally, look at the commands. Stand fast, 2 Thessalonians 2.15. Hold fast, Hebrews 3.6. Stand firm, Ephesians 6.14. Be brave, 1 Corinthians 16.13. Be bold, Ephesians 3.12. Be courageous, Joshua 1.7. Don't shriek back, Hebrews 10.39. Don't grow weary, Galatians 6.9. Keep going, Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 3.13, keep moving, Hebrews 12.13, persevere, Revelation 3.10, endure, 2 Timothy 2.12, rejoice, Philippians 4.4, leap for joy, give a fist pump of joy, Luke 6.23, it doesn't say the fist pump thing, I added that in just so you could mentally picture what this is, be a good soldier, kakopatheo, when you face your crowded hour, this is how you face it, you face it with a smile, this is how great Christians have lived throughout the ages and somehow we've lost this. I don't know if you guys are ready to admit that we may have lost something somehow in the translation of years, but I think we've marginalized what it means to lay down your life, to give up your life. And it sounds like a bad thing instead of a good thing. So 20 seconds of insane courage, the, cre the key ingredient. Now this actually, I, I don't, I, you guys know, I never promote movies, okay? I don't even like talking about movies. This is actually a quote from a movie, which is why it's really hard for me to say, but it is, have you ever had it where you're impacted by a, a movie quote and you don't want to acknowledge that you're impacted by it, so you want to rephrase it somehow so that you don't need to quote the movie? I've thought about that in this one, but I'm just going to quote it, okay? It comes from, I'm not even going to tell you what movie it is. Uh, it comes from a character named Benjamin Mee, 
And he says to his son, you know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you something great will come of it. I, I actually really like that quote. Because to me, when you hit that crowded hour, you could be waiting, 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 and then it shows up. But it takes something to step into it. Because it could mean your life. You need courage in that moment to even step into your crowded hour. You don't just need to be watching for it, but then when it comes, you need to be ready to embrace it, to step in and do the thing that you know you're supposed to do. You're, you're designed for this. This is why you're here. It's to live the remarkable life in this moment right now. And so that's the 20 seconds, 20 seconds of uh, insane courage. So 20 seconds of insane courage. Now, if any of you have ever seen uh, Free Burma Rangers, okay, there's, there's one moment, in fact, whoever was making the movie was caught onto it pretty quick. It's like, let's just start out with this because, and then we'll, we'll come back to it later in, but it's, it's uh, what, what city is that in, uh, in I- Iraq? Uh, Mosul? He's in Mosul, Iraq, and there is a, little girl that is all by herself, her parents have been killed, and she's isolated out there, and boy, I, my, my, my terms are, 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 are lacking here. I'm trying to think of even the enemy uh, in Mosul, Iraq. What was their name? I, ISIS. Boy, what, what is, I need to get my game, I need to get back to present tense. I'm back in the 1900s right now. So ISIS is covering this area, no one can get through. And Dave Eubank sees this little girl, and says, I'm going to get her. Well, you do know, Dave, that you'll get killed if you do. And so that's how the movie starts, is the guy just preparing to run, then it stops, right? So you don't know what's gonna happen, then it goes to the backstory and catches up to that moment. But I tell you what, when you watch that scene, that's a crowded hour, guys, and it causes, it literally takes the breath out of your lungs, like, whoa! Because you're thinking, what would I do? Would I just watch him go and go, go Dave? Or would I be willing, if Dave wasn't there, to step into that moment and say, I'm gonna go get her? I don't know, I don't know that I wanna go get her. I know it'd be the right thing to do, but I'm looking around for a Dave Eubank. Dave, are you here? What if I'm supposed to be the Dave Eubank in this situation? And that's the key question for us. 20 seconds of insane courage, Phineas. So we are going back in time now. So this is a biblical story, Uh, Numbers 25, 3, and then 6 through 7. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor. That's not a good thing, by the way. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel. Just openly flaunting the fact that he's defying Moses and Aaron. Whoa! Are you serious? Is this guy actually doing it? We have ourselves a crowded hour, guys. Crowded hour. So they were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and he is going to flaunt that he has a Midianitish woman. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. Now if you know the rest of the story, which is <clears throat> you know, not that pleasant to uh, rehearse, but it's pretty serious. And Phineas is going to take it upon himself and God is always going to commend what Phineas does in this situation. He is going to step into that crowded hour and act 
as a man of God ought to act. The 20 seconds of insane courage, Judah Maccabee. You've ever heard the story of the Maccabees? So, you know, we have this apocrypha portion of scripture that, you know, we in this room don't uh, treat as actual canon to have canon authority. But that doesn't mean it's not good, that it's not well-written and it doesn't say things that are true. It's actually rather profound. And it tells the story of the Maccabean revolt. But the Greeks are wanting to Hellenize the Jews. That means to make them Greek or to make them secular. And so because sacrifice is such a significant thing, they are going to take a altar of Jehovah and ask Judah Maccabee, who was the priest of the town, to sacrifice a pig on that altar of Jehovah. And he will not do it. Now, this is like classic social conformity because there's high pressure here and they have all the military power to quash anyone who would dare defy. And so even to say no is a major moment. That's a crowded hour moment right there to defy the Greeks, right? And to defy this movement of Hellenization. And so some other guy in the crowd that wants to curry favor says, I'll do it. And so he steps up to sacrifice a pig on Jehovah's altar. Crowded hour, uh-oh, guys. Judah Maccabee is going to go up and kill the guy as he's you know, preparing to do this. And this begins the Maccabean revolt. It's, it's quite the storyline. But wow, what this man is going to do, he's going to be killed not that long into this revolt. And then his oldest son is going to step up and take his position. And you would think that nothing was lost. And then that guy's going to be killed. The next son steps up. It's like four deep that, I mean, I've always said, I want to have a family like Judah Maccabee, where literally you could knock me off and Hudson just steps right in and said, okay, where were we? I mean, that's, that is remarkable. This, this story is, is quite something. 20 seconds of insane courage, Peter in Jerusalem. Same city that the Christ was crucified in. You guys do know that crucifixion is a public statement to say what? You do, you follow this guy, you do what he did, you'll get the same treatment. In the same city, this is the same city that Peter was obviously cowardly 50 days earlier. And same city, same circumstances, we have a high day, we have people all over the place, it's actually the Feast of Pentecost is what it was, and you're going to see Peter rise up empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak. What a crowded hour that was. Now, it always seems easier when it's in the Bible. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, that was, that was the Bible. Of course, they had you know, grace to do it. They had power to do it. This is the life we are called to. The question is, when we come to that moment, are we willing to allow the Spirit of God to move through us, to have a stand before a city that just crucified our king and to proclaim the goodness of our God? 20 seconds of insane courage, Wallace at Roslyn. So this has always been one of my favorite stories. I'm just going to read it to you from Scottish Chiefs. So Wallace is in hiding. He actually went over to France. Everyone wants him dead. You know, even the Scottish nobles want him dead because, you know, they're, they're trying to curry favor with Edward. And so he's going to flee for his life, but he can't stay away. He loves Scotland and Scotland needs a hero. 
So he not only just coming back as a crowded hour moment for Wallace, but this is the crowded hour. He's actually dressed up like a like Guy DeLongville was the, was his name, sort of his uh, in in character name, where he has his helmet down, no one can see him. I guess that was normal back then, and he would always, you know, I think he had a green type of armor on, and uh, that was, you know, so he was fighting his Guy DeLongville. What a great warrior this is! So this is a great help to the Scottish cause, but he wasn't Wallace to anyone. And what Scottish soldiers needed was they needed a leader. They needed Wallace. So here, we'll we'll just sort of catch up to the scene here. This is chapter 68. Indeed, so great was the havoc that the day must have ended in the universal destruction of every Scot in the field had not Wallace felt the crisis. And that is Guy de Longville. He had shed his blood in vain. In vain, his terrified countrymen saw him rush into the thickest of the carnage. In vain, he called to them by all that was sacred to man to stand to the last. He was a foreigner and they had no confidence in his exhortations. Death was before them and they turned to fly. The fate of his country hung on an instant. The last rays of the setting sun shone fully on the rocky promontory of the hill which projected over the field of combat. If anyone knows that it's Wallace, he's a dead man. But this is his crowded hour. He sees Scotland about to lose and that he knows they need his leadership. He took his resolution and spurring his steed up the steep ascent, stood on the summit where he could be seen by the whole army. Then taking off his helmet, he waved in the air with a shout and having drawn all eyes upon him, suddenly exclaimed, Scots, you have this day vanquished the Southrons twice. If you be men, remember Cambus Kenneth and follow William Wallace to a third victory. The cry which issued from the amazed troops was that of a people who beheld the angel of their deliverance. Wallace was the charge word of every heart. The hero's courage seemed instantaneously diffused through every breast. And with braced arms and determined spirits forming at once into the phalanx, his thundering voice dictated, the Southerns again felt the weight of the Scottish steel. And a battle ensued which made the bright esque run purple to the sea and covered the pastoral glades of Arthurian with the bodies of its invaders. 20 seconds of insane courage, Roosevelt storming up San Juan Hill. Now, I don't know how familiar you guys are with the Spanish-American War. Not the most common thing for us to know. Now, you may know historically that this is where Roosevelt becomes famous. What is going to cause Roosevelt to showcase this behavior in this moment isn't that he started in this moment. It's that he seized the moment as his crowded hour. But he'd already been practicing doing this up to this point in his life. This is just who Roosevelt was. And so he is in a situation which is rather extraordinary that I can't even go into. I'm not going to go into it. But he's in a situation which is going to turn the tide of the entire war. And he is going to, by many, in fact, some people say it was Roosevelt himself that made the claim, that he is single-handedly going to win the war and set Uh, Cuba free from the Spanish. So Teddy Roosevelt said it this way, July 1st, 1898, the great day of my life. Now what's he been living for? His crowded hour. Now he's going to arrive at this day. He is uh, a colonel of his regiment and he is going to see the opportunity and that's to charge up San Juan Hill, which is by the way, suicide. All the guns would be aiming down. Now he's the only one out of all the rough riders, which is how they were known, that had a horse, which means he's going to be ahead of everyone. He's going to be the obvious officer. If you're a military person, you know 
that in a war you want to kill the officers because they're the ones that are leading. And if you can knock off the head, well, then the rest of the body sort of loses its coordination. And he is streaming on ahead, up a hill, straight into the enemy guns. Who's dumb enough to do that? Well, uh, guys, we're talking about that guy right now. Leading a volunteer regiment of ragtag soldiers made up of polo players, hunters, cowboys, Native Americans, and athletic college buddies, Roosevelt and his rough riders were in the right place at the right time in history. Roosevelt, the only man with a horse that day, charged up San Juan Hill to break the stronghold of the Spanish over Cuba. It was an insane maneuver. We could say 20 seconds of insane courage. Exposing himself to all the Spanish guns, he yelled after his men, March! Teddy charged up the hill and inexplicably took the hill to the shock and amazement of all the onlooking world. So here's a painting of it. You see Teddy on his horse uh, charging up. So here's an actual photograph, not the painting. There, I mean, doesn't that just look like Teddy Roosevelt there right in the middle? Uh, it always looks like his pants are about to fall down. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed that with him. If he didn't have the suspenders, I don't know what he would have done. I'm glad he lived in the generation he did. Teddy Roosevelt said this, the only man who never makes a mistake is the man who never does anything. You see, it's a mentality. You know why many of us don't step into that moment? It's because we're afraid of doing it wrong. We're afraid of messing things up. And yet this quote is going to declare something that is very, very true, I think, to all of us. The only man who never makes a mistake is the man who never does anything. You know how, how many of us are afraid that if we start sharing the gospel with someone, we'll sort of fumble around with our words and we won't get it right. And we may even push that person further from God. You ever had thoughts like that? It's like, I don't want to mess things up. The only man who never makes a mistake is the one, is the man who never does anything. If you never do it, yeah, you'll never make a mistake. Actually, I don't think God's concerned about us making a mistake. I think he desires to say, step, I'll get behind you. Stop, this is your crowded hour. Now we have many crowded hours and we have big ones. July 1st, that's a big one for Teddy Roosevelt. 20 seconds, 20 seconds. Life or death, no matter. This is life lived at full volume. Life lived as life was meant to be lived. Life lived for something greater than oneself. Life as life should be, death as death should be. You see, guys, I'm talking about the remarkable life, not just living and passing your time away on earth and how you could have a good investment portfolio, but how you could live the life that God assigned you to the highest degree of volume, how you can make the biggest impact, even if it's in a short time on this earth. And that means that when God opens up those moments in your life, which Teddy called the crowded hour, when he opens up those avenues where you have an extra measure of influence by stepping into that. You have an extra loud voice. If you would just step forward, the microphone is on. If we would take those moments, God can do something spectacular through us. However, there's a cost to stepping into that arena, and many of us know it. It could mean public ridicule. It could mean loss of a career. It could mean loss of a life. And so we hesitate to step in, but that's where we must allow the Spirit of God to freshly touch us and burden us with the importance of living boldly in those moments. That this is what we're here for. 
Paul the Apostle says it this way in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Teddy Roosevelt said this, both life and death are parts of the same great adventure. Everything to him was a great adventure. When death becomes the one thing to be avoided, true Christianity melts away like a popsicle on a summer day. You see, Christianity has no substance if we're afraid of death. It's when we no longer fear it and we no longer see it as the impediment, when we're willing to say to live is Christ, but to die is actually advantage. Therefore, I don't fear it. Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives to the death. The NIV says it this way. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. NASB says it this way. They did not love their life even when faced with death. That you don't pause at this juncture to step into the crowded hour. You're ready. You have the expendable mindset. Introducing the son of wisdom. Doesn't it sound like it's not wisdom to step into this moment? It's like, you've got to be kidding. That doesn't sound wise. That's why I just want to finish with this. Introducing the son of wisdom. So in the Old Testament, there's a character. He's, known, he's named Joshobium the Hakmonite. Hakmonite means the son of wisdom. And so here we have the son of wisdom. I, I just want us to examine and study how the son of wisdom behaves. And this is the number of the mighty men whom David had. Joshobium, the son of a Hakmonite, chief of the captains, he had lifted up his spear against 300, killed by him at once, at one time. He's also gonna have another time where he's gonna fight 800 all by himself. I guarantee you his mom growing up was like Joshobium. You know, we don't want to pick fights with big crowds of angry men, okay? If, even if it was like eight to one, it would be unwise. 300 to one? 800 to one? This is the son of wisdom. He's stepping into his crowded hour. So the reason why Joshobium is going to make an impact on this world, the reason he is going to stand out in scripture is because he steps into his crowded hour boldly. So I finished every episode so far with a question. Teddy Roosevelt, question number five. Do you look at life as good and death as bad? Are you being built for your crowded hour? And then I always finish with a Teddy Roosevelt quote. So here's his quote number five. And this is on risk-taking as a necessary piece of great wisdom. And this is what I read to you earlier. The only man who never makes a mistake is the man who never does anything. Father, I ask that you would penetrate our hearts and our understanding with a clarity that we are here on this earth for you, not for ourselves. Not to live long, unremarkable lives, but even if it need be short, remarkable ones. We ask that you would cultivate this understanding in us. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. If you'd like to learn more about Ellerslie, our discipleship programs, or support the ministry financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. Thanks for listening.